Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Friday, May the 4th edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we take a break from talking rookies and get into some veteran news for the Miami Dolphins. We'll talk about Akeem Spence and Stephon Anthony, and if you haven't read the Yahoo article about the Miami Dolphins scouting department, we'll give you the highlights on that piece, including some tidbits on Raekwon McMillan, and we'll jump into the Twitter mailbag. But first, before any of that, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review there. Follow me on Twitter at NFL and follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com a piece written right now up there about Akeem Spence, Dolphins' new defensive tackle acquired on Thursday and of course the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins and it is first down here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, and we have some actual news to get to. No more draft coverage for this podcast. We will get back into that next week, talking about Durham Smythe and the rest of the Dolphins rookie class. But before we get into the Akeem Spence trade, the Dolphins declined fifth-year option on linebacker Stephon Anthony. They traded for Stephon Anthony from the New Orleans Saints for a fifth-round draft choice last year, and I thought that that compensation might give him a more imminent role with the club and put him more in the forefront in terms of what their plans are at the linebacker position, but it seems like that's not going to be the case. He came in and played a limited role in 2017. They brought in Terrence Garvin, who was a very similar player in terms of special teams prowess and just kind of fulfilling the same role that Stephon Anthony would play or that you'd expect him to play. They obviously draft Jerome Baker in the third round, Quentin Poling in the seventh round. They signed Mike McRae to come in and try to challenge for one of those slobber knocker positions at the linebacker class, as it were. And you just get the sense that he might be getting phased out a little bit here. So they're going to decline the fifth-year option. They have another season with him in 2018 to kind of make a decision on what they will do with the former first-round draft choice that has just not lived up to the billing. But the big news on Thursday, as I record this podcast on Thursday night, is the acquisition of Akeem Spence, the defensive lineman from the Detroit Lions. He is pretty much a carbon copy of what Indomitian Sue's role was with the Miami Dolphins. And before you get ahead of yourselves and say that Travis is comparing Spence to Ndamukong Sue, one of the all-time great defensive tackles in this league. I'm just talking about their sheer scheme fit and sheer role and responsibility within this defense. Now, Akeem Spence is a one-gap penetrator, and the reason that he was discarded from the Lions was because of a lack of a scheme fit in Matt Patricia's new defense. In New England, the Patriots ran more of a two-gap scheme where you have the defensive line kind of bunched more into the interior, typically a guy lining up over the nose with a pair of three techniques alongside him, freeing things up for the linebackers and attacking two gaps. What I mean by that is you line up over a defensive li- or an offensive lineman and you have responsibilities for either gap on either side of that guy, and your job is to create lanes and pass rush lanes for those linebackers and fits for the run defense of the linebackers. So that's his role in that scheme. Wouldn't fit for him there. So the lines basically give him away to the Miami Dolphins 
Dolphins for a conditional seventh round draft choice. The salary is not bad either. So the Dolphins get a nice player to fill a position that was very, very thin before this move. He has very light feet. He can move side to side very well. He's a savvy technician with a good crossover and swim move in his arsenal. He shows the ability to anchor against double teams and disengage in that zone running scheme. A lot of the time you'll see a defensive tackle have to get lateral and it's because they're kind of running that outside zone and the offensive line will take them in that direction. So what they have to do is kind of play patty cake with the offensive line and then disengage at the point of attack and make a stop on a ball carrier. He has that in his arsenal. He struggled early on the season, but he really, really picked it up late in the year. At the end of the season, the final six games, 16 of his 29 overall pressures from the defensive tackle position came in those final six games. So he was a total force on the defensive line, actually a top six interior rusher during those games in terms of the PFF pass rush productivity numbers there. So he ranked very well in that regard. Number 16 overall on the run stop percentage in terms of 38 defensive tackles graded by PFF and 14th in the pass rush department, only four spots behind Indomitian Sue there. So he essentially replaces Indomitian Sue's role, takes on the most of his departed snap count. He had 622 snaps last year for the Lions. That's good for 61% of their total defensive snaps. And more than Devon Godshaw, who had 500 snaps as a rookie, very impressive number. And more than even Jordan Phillips, who was at just 402. Vincent Taylor bring up the rear with 195. So they needed to get some snaps replaced on the defensive line, and he can come in and play 700 snaps for you there in that position. So very, very good move there. Like I mentioned, deepens the thinnest position on the roster, and it reunites him with former defensive line coach Chris Kusarek, who comes over from the Lions earlier in the offseason. We thought that maybe that was a pilgrimage to get him here to get more of Indomitian Sioux. Come to find out they cut Sue and bring in a guy that fills the same role. So hopefully that reuniting of those two together makes him an even better player in Miami. And like we said, the Dolphins just steal him from the Detroit Lions, a conditional seventh round draft pick, and they will owe him only $5.5 million over the next two seasons. 3 million this year, 2.5 million next year. So he has a good looking future with the Dolphins for the next couple of years. And that position gets filled out very nicely as you now have Spence and Phillips kind of as the starters. And then Godshaw and Taylor, the first two guys off the bench. All four of those guys are going to play significant reps. And you hope that maybe one of these undrafted guys or maybe Gabe Wright or maybe even another move down the line can bring in some more snap eating on the defensive line. So the Dolphins get better on this Thursday. On the Friday edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, at Mayfield NFL, at Lockdown Fins, we have more to talk about, including the Twitter mailbag at the end of the show here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. If you guys make your way over to LockdownDolphins.com, there is a written column on Akeem Spence up right now. I put some gifs together of what you can expect to see from him in this defense as far as his role goes, why he was miscast with Matt Patricia. So a bunch of gifs for you there, some PFF data as well and his overall production numbers there and some scouting reports and talking about the fact that he was a very good locker room guy. In fact, one of the Lions reporters mentioned that he was their favorite guy to talk to all throughout the course of the 2017 season. So a good guy, good athlete, good player, and a good get for the Dolphins. Let's go ahead and move on now and transition over to the Yahoo Sports article talking about the Dolphins scouts. It is titled The Secret Life of Scouts on Yahoo.com. And it went over basically an entire year worth of work and what goes into the entire draft class and kind of the life of a scout and the Dolphins' core principles about drafting guys that fit the prototype, how they won't draft guys that they love and the coaching staff hates. So better cohesion there in terms of the overall vision being paired and aligned with one another and how character is probably the biggest deal for them in their entire remake. And we've heard about it all offseason, and every team wants to have good character, guys, although some teams won't abide by it as much. Obviously, you have the Cleveland Browns drafting Antonio Callaway, who was just a big piece of garbage in his time at college. 
So you come back and you hopefully have guys that, you know, their commitment to the game and their commitment to the process and their professionalism is all there for you. And hopefully you get more out of those types of players that can get the most of their talent they naturally possess. So, and if you ever wanted to be a scout, this column might kind of shake you a little bit. The Dolphins director of college scouting, Adam Ingroff, he has stayed in over almost 4,000 hotels in his career over an 18-year career, and that equates to 10 total years. So more than half of his life is spent in Marriott's all over the country here in the United States. So very busy life. They have to write up all the reports. They barely have time to eat most of the time. So if you're interested in that, it's definitely a less than glamorous life with even less glamour in terms of recognition they get for these players. So it's just, it sounds like a tough life. I would probably enjoy it if I was single. You can't really do it if you're married, even though this guy was. But it just sounds like a very, very tough profession to crack and get into and to have to absorb every single day the tasks that you're thrown. But what really stood out for me in terms of the Miami Dolphins was the infatuation they displayed with Raekwon McMillan, how they were super impressed by his early camp work and kind of earning a starting job almost immediately as a second round draft pick, how they targeted him early in the process, how they love these guys from the big schools, how they love to get all the information from these guys, from their their strength coach, the strength trainers, the offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, anyone they can get their hands on and talk to, they will get information on these guys and kind of relay information back to the team. And it's usually accurate information. These coaches believe in one another in terms of conveying the truth about a player. They will not lie about a player. And they were very positive on Raekwon McMillan, both in the sense that it had they laid out huge expectations for him going into 2017, but also what it means about the Dolphins drafting philosophy in terms of taking guys that they have a comfort level with coming from a program they have a comfort level with. And it goes back to the idea that Dolphins took players basically from the blue blood schools, Alabama, Penn State, Ohio State, come back with Notre Dame on Durham Smite. You go Arizona State falls off a little bit, and then you get off the wagon at the end of the draft there. But I think that the familiarity there with Raekwon McMillan, it talked a lot about the scouts' success at Ohio State and how they led to the McMillan pick, and it definitely had some impact on taking Jerome Baker this year, both Raekwon McMillan doing the recruiting as well as the coaching staff speaking highly of both those guys. And you saw on the film when those two played together, we talked about it on the Jerome Baker podcast a little bit yesterday, just how outstanding those two guys worked in unison, both as assignment oriented football players and feeding off one another and helping each other succeed. So they stay blue blood in this draft. They try to steer towards guys that are not medical risks. And Mike Tannenbaum even stated that Raekwon McMillan had never been hurt before that freak injury. All of his medicals were good. And then he gets hurt on a freak play on the first play of preseason, a freaking punt play to boot. And then as he sighs, he says, but that's the business we signed up for. So the piece just reeks of how the job has so many ups and so many downs and how you have to kind of rally around those peaks and valleys every single day. So if you haven't read that piece, go ahead and do it now. It's a great piece on Yahoo titled The Secret Lives of NFL Scouts, written by Pete Thamel. A very, very good piece there. We have one more segment here on the Friday Locked On Dolphins podcast, the Twitter mailbag. We'll get to that here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Leafield NFL at Locked On Fins. One more segment here for the week on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and it's everyone's favorite segment, the Twitter mailbag. I put the call out on Twitter for your questions. You guys respond. You get read on the air here. The question read on the air, as well as your Twitter handle, shout it out on Twitter. So let's go ahead and jump right into that. The first question comes from Angel Contreras at A underscore Contreras 88. Which offensive change slash player will benefit Tannehill the most compared to what he had in 2016? And I love this question because there are lots of good options for it. 
And let's just go ahead and start position by position. I think running back, you can just go ahead and call that a wash because even though you get Kalen Balaj and what he does in the passing game, I would consider that somewhat of a net no gain, no loss in terms of what you go from Damian Williams to Kalen Balaj. Obviously, I know what Kenyon Drake is, but let's just go ahead and skip past that. Wide receivers, I think the screen game is going to be a lot better. And I think you're going to have a lot more success in terms of not having to force speed the ball to Jarvis Landry. But the one piece that is most changed from last time Tannehill played, remember he had Dominic Jones, Marquise Gray, Deion Sims, just some real plotters, guys that don't really do a whole lot in terms of explosion and making big plays in the passing game from the tight end position. And the fact that the red zone offense was so bad in 2016 comparatively to the rest of the league they were able to move the ball between the 20s but all of their scores were kind of big plays remember Kenny Stills had like nine touchdown catches eight of which were from 25 yards or more so they were a big play offense that relied on the big play for to get their touchdowns and you hope that they can get more touchdowns within the red zone in 2018 that's why I think that Mike Gusecki's addition will be the biggest one he's never had a player like that the mismatch piece that he is the fact that he can go up and rebound he has a strong pair of hands at the catch point I think Mike Gusecki is going to catch a lot of touchdowns from day one for the Miami Dolphins offense next question comes from Mick Dreamy he is at the only Trey how safe is Mike Tannenbaum's position right now the draft more so than less than last feels more Greer gaze than Tannenbaum are we witnessing a changing of the guard I don't think so I think that Mike Tannenbaum remains more of a consultant role he's going to get the contracts figured out he's going to pursue the big time free agents he's the one that kind of bridges the gap between decision makers and agents because he has that past relationship as he is he did work with agents at his own firm there but I think that he has the ear of Stephen Ross I don't think that Ross is prone to firing people unless they really do him dirty or just are flat out incompetent which you can argue Mike Tannenbaum has been at times but they have this structure set in place now where there's a good alignment between the coaching staff and the decision makers I think that's really kind of shown through this year and I wouldn't necessarily rake Tannenbaum over the coals for it you might hate the Jarvis Landry trade you might hate the Indominus Sue release but The long-term vision overall, I mean, I've talked about on the podcast all the time, just how much better I feel about this team this year than I have in the past. So I don't think he's in any danger of losing his job, but of course, a bad record can definitely change that. Next question comes from Mike at mgrande0311. Is Devontae Parker on his fifth-year option still trade bait, or do you see us keeping him? I've been banging that drum all offseason. I think I probably should get off that horse and off that wagon right now because it seems like he's going to be fit for this offense I know Mike Gusecki brought in another big body for them to run that wide position that we talk about so much, but Devontae Parker was kind of the only guy on the roster prior to his acquisition as they now have a lot more speedy, smaller type of receivers that, if you go back to the Yahoo article, don't fit the prototype, but they have built a core that is really complementary of one another, and Gusecki really kind of brings that home. So I think that Parker will be here for the next couple of years. He's still on a cheap contract, even at $9.5 million in his fifth year, is relatively cheap compared to what some of the top receivers make. We all saw what Jarvis Landry got so you probably have two more years to try to develop him get his professionalism straightened out get his work habits straightened out and I feel like that's going to be a big task for the Miami Dolphins coaching staff so I think they're up to it I believe that Adam Gaze thinks he might have a player there so probably going to go ahead and stick with Devontae Parker so no the answer is I don't think he'll be traded anymore next question comes from Greg Larson at GSL now with what seems to going to be lots of speed, short passing attack with deep shots, who is going to be the offensive MVP not named Tannehill? I love that question too, just because I talk about Ryan Tannehill so damn much, but we got to talk about his weapons and who is going to really enhance this game. I, that's a really good question for the sense that there's just going to be such a evenly distributed offense 
run in Miami now that I don't think you can point to one particular guy. I think that Kenny Stills' numbers will get back to what they were in 2016 just because him and Tannehill had a really good chemistry and had a really good connection, specifically in the deep ball. So I'll go with Kenny Stills because I think that he's finally going to get some of his recognition that he doesn't get. You see a lot of the fans consider him like a number two receiver, and maybe he's not a bona fide number one, but he is very efficient. He is very good in what he does. He creates lanes for other guys. I think he might get more of a payoff this year. Without so many balls being forced to Jarvis Landry, he could get more targets, which means more yards, which means more touchdowns. So I'll go with Kenny Stills as the offensive MVP outside of Ryan Tannehill. Next question comes from Daniel, I can't say your last name, man, Scarzingas at dscarano11. And we had a bit of a spat yesterday talking about baseball. For those of you that don't like baseball, you can go ahead and turn this off right now. But I'm a big Mariners fan. He's a big Yankees fan. I realize the Yankees have a absolutely historic offense, but the Mariners offense one through nine is absolutely loaded too. So we went back and forth on that a little bit. I'll concede that the Yankees are better, but the Mariners are right there behind them as a very good offense. But I wanted to touch on this because I had a freezing cold takes night for the ages last night in terms of baseball you can go ahead and find my timeline for that just calling out the Mariners being stacked one through nine they have an unhittable eighth inning man their closer is the best in baseball and sure enough what do they do they come up with a three run lead or two run lead in the eighth inning proceed to give up two from the eighth inning man that I called out and then the ninth inning closer Edwin Diaz allows his first run of the year on a home run so they lose the game three to two and the offense couldn't convert bases loaded in the eighth inning too so a not good night for me calling out presumptive tweets on Twitter in the baseball world. Next question comes from Ryan Solani. He is at throw Marino 13. That's an awesome handle. I'm really curious as to what role you think Jerome Baker will play for us this year. Is he purely a backup and special teams guy this year, or does he have a chance to start or will he be subbed in some and play 33% of the snaps or so? I think the immediate goal is to have him working behind Kiko Alonso. Now you're going to have three linebackers on the field for about 35% of your snaps. That is the new base defense in the NFL, 35% with nickel being about 50 to 60% of the others. And Jerome Baker has a really good chance to be one of the two nickel linebackers on the field with Raekwon McMillan, maybe even the one. We'll, we'll see what happens. But he has the best chance at becoming one of those matchup pieces in terms of a nickel linebacker. So I think early on, he'll be a special teams guy and a backup. But I think as the year goes on, he'll probably eventually beat out Kiko Alonso and become a full-time guy in terms of the nickel defense and maybe even the base package too. So I think you're hoping that he plays 35% minimum off the start and then by the end of the year becomes more of a 60 to 70% snap taker for this defense. And we've got two more questions. Second to last one here from Dom V at Dom V. Easy enough. Do you think Ryan's knee is good enough to where he can run safely for first downs, giving us that RPO that we used to implement? That's a that's a tricky question because I'm not obviously medically advanced in any way or, or expert in that way at all. But I, I think that you can put some integrity back into the ACL and you can loosen him up early in games. That's kind of how he kind of got into the flow of games at, at early points in his career was getting that running game going. But you saw the non-contact injury last year. You just have to wonder how much of that might be in Tannehill's head. I don't think it will be that big of a deal, but some quarterbacks have had problems with that. I think that you maybe pull it back a little bit just for precautionary reasons. I know they feel really good about this pocket passing game and what this passing offense could be in terms of a short rhythm passing timing offense, like we've talked about a hundred times, but I think you don't want to take it out of his tool bag because he's such a good threat in that way. Go back to 2014 when he had three consecutive games with a 40 yard run. I mean, not a lot of quarterbacks can do that. He's extended plays in the, you know, as early as 2016, he has been a very good force in that way. So I think you keep it in the arsenal 
but maybe just dial it back a little bit because he had the surgery. The knee is fine. He's been running steps. He's diving off of yachts out in the ocean. So I think he should be fine. So we'll go ahead and just assume he's fine until he's not. And the last question comes from Julian Luco at Julian underscore Luco. Do you think Dolphins Twitter is setting Gasecki up for failure? They want to compare him to Dallas Goddard, who is going to arguably the best offensive scheme in football. I, I think that I might have something to do with that a little bit. If you read my stuff, I have really pimped up his name and spoken highly of him just in regards to the fit he is in this offense, because we've seen it with Julius Thomas. We've seen it with Jordan Cameron, guys that don't have that explosive step, guys that aren't real smooth route runners and guys that really don't do much in the blocking in the running game either as blockers. I think that Gasecki is just light years better than both of those guys as a route runner at this point of their respective careers. Obviously, Cameron now out of the league. Julius Thomas doesn't have a job yet, but Gasecki is so natural and so fluid the way he sets up guys in his routes. So I think they have huge expectations. I think those expectations are warranted. Now, will he fit right away? We'll see how quickly it takes, how long it takes him to get acclimated because rookies, you know, you never know. It just, it can be a day, it could be a month, it could be the whole season, it could be never. So with Mike Gasicki, I think he has all the traits there to make it happen. How quickly it happens, we'll have to find that out. And that's why I cannot wait for preseason and camp and all of this stuff that we have to unpack over the course of the next three months with the Locked On Dolphins podcast, the website, my Twitter account, everything that has we have going on. Very, very excited for the 2018 season and especially with the rookie class coming in. Thank you guys again for writing in those questions on the Twitter mailbag. Next week, we'll continue the rookie series with Durham Smythe and the other guys that were drafted, as well as the undrafted free agents. I am kicking around the idea of an article talking about playing safety next to Rashad Jones and how Issa Abdul-Kadus was kind of the best one to do it in terms of a true free safety. And now we have Minka Fitzpatrick, who is much better even than Abdul-Kadus was at that role. So we might have that coming down the pipeline, but we will have a huge series called Know the Enemy, where I'm going to break down everyone on the Dolphins 2018 schedule. So we have that to look forward to and much, much more on LockdownDolphins.com as well as Lockdown Dolphins podcast. As for tonight's podcast, that is going to do it. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins and follow our flagship show at Lockdown NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. And check out LockdownDolphins.com for all your daily written and Dolphins content needs. You guys have a terrific rest of your weekend back on Sunday with another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.